0: Welcome to Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Scott Lauber. I'm Bob Brookover. And I'm Matt Breen. And guys, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, uh, the day after the World Series ended last night in Arlington, Texas. The Dodgers defeating the Tampa Bay Rays uh, to win the World Series in six games. And before we dive into the Phillies offseason, which... I guess officially begins today with free agency um, players, 147 players filing for free agency uh, and uh, the beginning of a five day exclusive negotiating window before the open market. Let's um, let's put a bow, I guess on the season and the world series. Um, Bob, I think you and I both picked unofficially picked uh, Dodgers and six Um uh- that's, Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, I, I picked it first. I got in ahead of you. As you you did by like 30 seconds. Um, I think you were plagiarizing me, but that's all right. right. Uh, nobody other than me, because I didn't even tell my, like, my wife, has any way of knowing this. But I was actually going to tweet that Justin Turner was going to be the MVP. He wasn't the MVP. He was, of course, a major storyline after game six. But, you know, just I guess your general thoughts on, on the series – uh, what we saw over the last you know week or so um, since these two teams got together,
1: I just wanted to say something about um, like obviously the the Justin Turner is a big story today having coronavirus, but the, the pull the early yank of Blake Snell and how it was just like it's just like infuriating watching the game and being on your phone and seeing every tweet come through about how. It's. This is why analytics is awful, and this is why you know analytics has ruined the game. It's like. It was a bad decision. It's not. This isn't like a referendum on analytics that Blake Snell came out early. Uh, It's just like like now analytics is you throw it out the window because Kevin Cash, a manager and a team that leans heavily on analytics, made the wrong decision in a pivotal game. Like did. You know, if you go back in time, and when a manager, an in, in old school, and not an analytics manager, made a bad decision, were you like, "Wow, baseball has got to get rid of this old school thinking." You know, it's this is this is what's ruining the game. These these they're going by gut feel, and look at what just happened. They just gave up a, you know, a meltdown in the seventh inning, or or they meltdown in the ninth inning because they kept this guy in too long. It's I, just like, I wouldn't. I just I wouldn't. I can't stand ahead. that line of thinking. Like I I it's it was he should not have taken out Blake Snell. Watching the game, it's like, dude. Kevin Blake Snell, but it's not like this wasn't the chance for all everybody to. And I'm not a super analytics guy. I think there's there's a t- place for both in baseball, but it wasn't. It's not like I just infuriates me when it's like this is my chance to crush an entire you know movement of baseball and, and blame one instinct.
2: Yeah, I, w- I I wouldn't have taken out Blake Snell, uh, but I would take the the Tampa Bay Rays season uh with their twenty seventh ranked payroll uh and it's a team that routinely draws flies to its games in Tampa Bay and St. Petersburg. Uh consistent I think they've won ninety games in the last since the since the, they played the Phillies in the World Series. I think they've won ninety games six times. Um you know whatever the Rays are doing whatever Kevin Cash is doing, I don't think you can come down on Kevin Cash uh too terribly hard for for this one decision he made because, you know what, he made it – he had to make a lot of good decisions uh, in order for the Tim Bay Rays to be two wins and, a, you know, away from winning a World Series. So, I mean, I, I just have a – you know, it's one thing to, to say Gabe um, Kapler in his very first game as manager of the Phillies shouldn't have taken out Aaron Nolan at 69 pitches or whatever – Whatever it was, I don't really remember uh, the exact the exact number. But it's another thing to say about a a a team and a manager with with quite the track record um, that that he has. I mean, you know, there were what did Kevin or um, Blake Snell made twelve starts, eleven starts during the regular season, and in how many of them? In eight of the eleven, he didn't get to 100 pitches, and eight of the eleven, he didn't get above 92. So he was, you know, and he explained the whole thing. This is, and if you go and look at the numbers, I think, I think the numbers for the year he was hitting teams the second time around hit 307 against him. The first time was like one something, and the third time was like 304. So he had the numbers there to, to defend him. Having said that, I wanted to take a Blake Snell out because there's just. Some nights, and this was one of those nights where you say, wow, that guy's got electric stuff. And, you're, and and the history of the postseason is you can manage differently in the postseason. This is even before analytics ever existed. You can manage differently in the postseason than you do in the regular season because the stakes are different.
0: Yeah, I think it's possible to say that Kevin Cash made a mistake last night and that Ray's way of doing things works. <clears throat> I think both of those things can be true. Um, and you don't have to, you know, if they're not, um, I, I, we were joking before we got on here about, uh, Kevin Cash being the anti Grady Little and God, if we had Twitter back in 2003, when (laughs) Grady Little left Pedro in the game too long and, and, and the, and the Red Sox lost that game to the Yankees. I mean, I mean, can you imagine? So like, I just think that, um, the, the, uh, the notion that, one Kevin cash mistake in game six of the world series is going to make the game come full circle. And all of a sudden every manager is going to go back to being Grady little. I mean, I think that's crazy. It's not going to happen. And I, it's not going to affect the way Kevin cash manages a game, not one iota. I just think that I think the lesson to be learned, if there is one is that, you know, whatever you believe, um, if you're a manager, um, you've got to kind of react to the moment and not to your philosophy. Like, It can be Kevin Cash's philosophy to not let a starting pitcher go through a lineup a third time. And maybe 90% of the time he's going to be right about that. But last night, anyone who was watching that game and watching the way Blake Snell was pitching could tell you that he probably was going to get through their lineup again. He was that good last night. He was that dominant. I don't care how good Mookie Betts and Corey Seager are at the top. Uh, I mean, he made Mookie look silly the first two times up, right? He struck him out twice. So, I mean, it's, the you guys.
1: Know, listen to what, the the you to what the those three Dodger guys that he was going to face, they were Corey Seager, Turner, and Max Muncy. were zero for six with six strikeouts. So, right. and you know, when, and you
0: listen to what Mookie said after the game, and what Seager said. Like it sounded like, I mean, it didn't sound like they said he did us a favor. Basically, they said by taking out Snell. So, I think you can manage the Kevin Cash way and be successful at it. It's just. You can't make that be an absolute. You you sort of have to react to the moment, and the moment last night was not was not to take Snell out.
2: I'm going to take you a decade back before Grady Little to the 1993 World Series and Jim Fregosi. Uh, you know, all of Philadelphia wanted him to leave Roger Mason in in, in Game Six, and Jim Fregosi's philosophy was: uh, Mitch Williams is my closer. This is a guy I've closed games with all year. I'm going to close the game with Mitch Williams. I'm not saying it was right. Most of Philadelphia didn't think it was right, but this is long before analytics again, uh, long before Twitter, but it wasn't long before talk radio, uh, which, you know, w- was basically Twitter on steroids always. Uh, <laughs> it, 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 it really was. I mean, and people were, went crazy on the radio that, he, you know, on, on talk radio that he did that. Um, but you, you know what? The, the, to this day, his players that that played for, for Gossi will defend – his decision to do that, even though, you know, maybe except Lenny Dykstra because he yeah. hates Mitch now. But that's a, that's another story for another another
1: podcast. So he went he went Roger Mason, David West, Larry Anderson, and then Mitch Williams.
2: Yes, and then, I mean there were people who just thought he should have rolled Roger Mason because Roger Mason, I think he'd gone two innings. Correct? Yeah, two, two and a uh, third. Uh, yeah. Right, and then what? What did he go with? With David West, West and
1: Larry Anderson faced one batter. And, like, right. and he walked him, and then Larry Anderson got two outs to finish the eighth inning, I guess. Eight. Right. And, and, and that, was that, like, like in the moment people wanted Roger Mason to stay in, or was that just, like, the next day they were like, you know, Roger Mason, he should sh- should have stayed in? I, I think, I, you know,
2: it's hard to say if it was in the moment because there wasn't yeah
1: yeah at that time.
2: But there, it was definitely the sentiment to Nick's – the next day, in the weeks after, gotcha. uh, uh, weeks and years after. Yeah, I, I but, remember you know, the aftermath. It's like, how crazy and, it and for Gosu would often say, you know, I never went three innings with Roger Mason, uh, which you know by that point relievers really didn't go three innings very often, uh, unless they were unless they were considered long relievers who came in when a guy when a starter struggled early. You yes. know, it was it, it was it was unheard of, but you know. Who knows? We'll never know. We'll never, you know, we'll never know. Uh, we'll never know if um, Kevin is right anyway, because he might've been right anyway. You know, so th- there's that and we'll never know if,
0: if Jim Croce is right. If you're left in Roger Mason, that they lose the game anyway, but
2: can't change it now.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I would have taken my, ch- I think we all would have taken our chances with Snell a third time through. And, and if you lose, um, you know, you, you can sort of say, well, I mean, look, I- but again, like he he can say, look, this is how I did it all year, and certainly it's how he did it all postseason, and um, for the most part, it worked for him. So, uh, if it helps him sleep easier at night, knowing that he stuck to his principles and did it the way he wanted, um, you know, I guess that's that's you know that's how it is. I guess two other things I wanted to touch on. Um, number one, you know, before the season started, we wondered a sixty-game season. You know, would we have a true outcome? Would we have a legitimate result? Uh, Or was the season going to lend itself to flukiness and uh, and all of that? And to have the two best teams over 60 games wind up playing each other in the World Series and the Dodgers, who I think most of us thought way back in February in spring training, were the class of certainly the National League, if not all of baseball, winning the whole thing. Does that validate the fact that? you know, even in this short season, this weird, wacky short season that we had, that we ended up getting a true result?
2: I think we, I I think uh, baseball couldn't have got any true result. I mean, the last time, um, the last time two teams, the two teams with the best record made it was 2013. Uh, It hasn't happened that many times in, in, since we went to the division format in 1969, where you you had the four four teams. so I mean, yes, we also had for the first time in history, uh, team two teams with losing records get into the postseason, uh, which is why I think we need to make some adjustments if we're going to yeah. continue to have an expanded playoff field. I, I don't think
0: I don't like that that
2: happened, uh, which but, I think was a
0: function more of the expanded field than the than the short season. Right? No, I, yeah. I agree. I agree because you're going to get that with, with eight teams in each league. You're going to get that. I think I figured
2: out that the, the White Sox last year would have made it at, like, 78 and 84. Right. Uh, and that, that you know, 29 and 31, you can at least say you're right on the brink of 500, but 78 and 84, you certainly can't. Uh, but, no, the, the, I mean, you stated it perfectly. The, the Dodgers were thought to be the best team in baseball going in, uh, and they proved it to be – the I mean, they've been the best team of the last half decade. You know, yeah. and really they're on the verge of being the Braves uh, for all those years. But they, and now they got their World Series. It'll be interesting to see whether they sustain this going forward. Uh, there's there's not a lot of reason to think they won't <laughs> because they're loaded with talent and young talent.
0: Um, so, um, yeah, I think the other know. thing that it does is it, it avoids the it avoids looking at the 2020 season. And saying it was an illegitimate World Series championship. Like, I I don't know that the Dodgers of 2020 are going to be remembered as like an illegitimate champion. Because I think most of us believe if you played 162 and a full playoff, they 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 still very well might have come out on top. So I I think the Dodgers winning probably legitimizes uh, the season or at least takes away from people saying, oh, that was the short year where weird stuff happened i think it probably makes them a legitimate champion
2: yeah it, 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 it was the shorter season but it was the longest postseason so you got to factor that in too but they also had to endure the longest postseason i will say this they were one of the teams least touched by covid i think they had to play one double header the whole year and you know for so from from that both the, the rays and the dodgers were were barely touched by Covid in terms of uh, having to do things that other teams like the Cardinals and Phillies and and, and Marlins had to do, but we say said barely touched and they were barely
0: touched, but uniquely touched uh, as it as it turned out. Yeah, that was that was, was going to be the segue to the, the, the last thing I wanted to talk about with regard to the series. And I don't know about you guys, but you know, just sort of the news at the end of the game last night that Justin Turner tested positive for Covid, and Bob, you brought it up. Like what? Would have happened had the Rays won that game? How long would we be waiting for game seven to actually be played? Because I doubt it would have been played tonight and probably not tomorrow night either. And, you know, um, we can get into the whole thing about Turner being back on the field to take a team picture and all of that stuff. But, you know, I guess if the 2020 season had to end in some way, it was kind of fitting that it ends with someone testing positive for COVID, someone on the team that won it all. And, uh, and having that, that cloud over a championship the same way that cloud was over the entire season.
2: It, it's Go ahead, Matt. You go first because I'm talking too much.
1: No, I – yeah, it's just – I didn't even think of that until Bob said that before we started recording about what would have happened if, um, if the Rays won last night and, and the Dodgers played a game with a, you know, a guy that has tested positive and therefore the coronavirus got inside the bubble. So who knows what would have happened. And a lot of people are angry that Turner went back on the field last night, and it's there is reason to be upset about it. But it's like I feel like I, I you I've run out of things to be angered about right now. You know what I mean? It's like it's like are we yeah. really gonna get worked up today about this? It's like I don't know. It, it the, the season's over. If they want to, you know, if you want to be irresponsible, if the Dodgers want to be irresponsible then that's on them, that that they're irresponsible. It's not going to affect other teams. It's not going to affect the league. It's not going to affect, um, you know, people that re- rely on the league for their income and to make money. They're going to celebrate irresponsibly. We'll see what happens because of that. But it's like, you know, what new thing are we going to be angry about today? And it's it's this, it's that Justin Turner went back on the field with his teammates to celebrate. And it's like, maybe I'm wrong, that I don't have the energy to be worked up about it, but like, I, if, if the season was still going on, then I, I'd be, you know, you know, what's going on, but it, it's, it's over. It's like, I I don't care. That's that's. And, and maybe I'm wrong to have that attitude, but that's how I felt reading about it today.
2: Well, I care I, in this regard, I, I, I'm waiting. And I think we're all waiting to see, are the Dodgers leaving Arlington today or are they going to be quarantined? And, you know, it, cause let's remember how this Philly season started uh, something like this uh, and the next thing you know the miami marlins uh three day road trip became a ten day road trip or ten day or seven day whatever it was you know they were it was a ten day it was a ten day stay in Philadelphia before they they left uh so now that the season doesn't matter or the or the or the Dodgers going to leave Arlington, does anybody else on the team have it uh you know and it's just coming out now i mean i I am curious to see what what happens here. I, I, don't, I don't think you have to be angry about it, but I think we should all be curious ab- about, you know, for what, sure. what is next for the Dodgers. Yeah, I, I, uh, I,
1: you know, you hope you now they take the proper precautions to not, you know, this doesn't affect anybody outside of this Dodgers organization that wasn't on the field last night and stuff like that. But it's like. Yeah. And, and yeah
2: that, I, I know. I, I, I understand yeah. Justin Turner too, because, you know, it, it's, it's, it's let's just, put it in everyday typical life, Uh, you know, you you go to a wedding celebration or some kind of uh, big celebration for for a family member, Uh, a wedding's probably the best example, you know, with the best intentions, I'm going to wear a mask while I'm at this wedding, Uh, you know, we're going to socially distance, we've only, we've cut the party from 200 people to, to 50 people, uh, but then all of a sudden you start drinking and all of a sudden you start happy to see somebody. And then you see something, you know, the people you love getting married and, and things you didn't intend to do, you end up doing and you're, you're, you're putting yourself and others at risk. And that's, that's called being human. And that's basically what, you know, the, the greatest moment of Justin Turner's baseball life. For sure, He, he I mean, was acting, he, he, he was acting human, he, but it, it was, it, it, again, going back to the, to Scott's, uh, words two things can be
0: true here he he was still being irresponsible there yeah and you know I I'm sure that not every single member of the Dodgers was comfortable with him on the field last night I'm sure that not every family member who was on the field last night if they knew that Justin Turner was positive um were happy with it and if they didn't know uh, they might have woken up today and been even more unhappy about it knowing now that he was positive and they might have seen him or been near him last night you hope that the celebration on the field doesn't turn into a super spreader event. You hope that nobody with the Dodgers party, whether it's family or players or staff, gets sick. Uh, you hope that Justin Turner continues to feel okay. He said he felt okay last night um, despite the positive test. People are going to wonder, how did it get in the bubble? I don't I don't think that's relevant at this point. You know, I think that uh, it just it's another indication that uh, the virus does what it wants to no matter how many precautions you take. Uh, but you know, I just, you know, I'd love to hear from the people uh, with the Dodgers party who uh, were were a little bit, you know, unsettled by the fact that this guy was out there last night. And, you know, I mean, just in reading some of the accounts, you know, it sounds like uh, he was told maybe not to uh, maybe not to leave the room where he was being isolated. And he said he wanted to be out there. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's just um you know, I'm with Matt, it kind of, um, there's so much going on uh, in every aspect of our lives. It's hard to kind of gin up a lot of kind of uh, real anger about it or, or strong feeling about it. It's just, um, you know, I think every, it, it kind of touches you because you know how, clo- how careful everyone's being, or you hope that everyone's being in your own life and, um, you know, you see something like that happen. I do hope that the Dodgers are forthcoming with details about if anyone else is testing positive or anything like that. Um, because, you know, I think it's important to know um, what occurs from having him be out there on the field or what doesn't occur. Yeah, I, I guess did, we did, see, did either
2: Did either – I just wanted to ask if either of you guys read Tom Verducci's story about being in the bubble. He was, he was actually in the bubble no, I uh, for the last month. And, and what was – it was interesting. He started in Houston but then spent the last two series, the NLCS and the World Series, in the Arlington, the same hotel as the players of both teams – and, and there were some interesting things in there. Among them, when the Braves uh, moved from Houston to Arlington to play the Dodgers, um, there, was, there was rumors going around that the, the Dodgers were ordering food from outside the hotel. Uh, and Freddie Freeman in particular was interested in this because he likes to have a Starbucks coffee every morning and there was no availability of Starbucks coffee in that hotel. And unless you ordered 10 uh, huh. uh, of something is the only way you could get something. He's, well, let me know if I can do that. Cause I'll just have 10 Starbucks coffees every <laughs> morning. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was an indication that these guys were going crazy in this bubble. Um, and, you know, that I, I, I got to think there were just times where, you know, and I'm sure it's true with every team, all season long, and it obviously, probably led to some of the spreading events. That you, it was impossible to police this all the time. Even even though, if you read Verducci's story, that the policing was uh, very heavy of
0: what was going on. But you know, there's still going to be cracks in the in the system. Yeah, I do think that there's some inconsistency between. Look, I mean, we all were getting the weekly uh, testing updates that Major League Baseball and the Players Association were sending out jointly. Um, you know, and there was some chest thumping going on, I think, um, you know, toward the end about the number of consecutive days between positive tests. It was like 57 days or something uh, between positive tests. I think there's some inconsistency between being proud of how good you were at this and then allowing a guy to go on the field for the postgame celebration, knowing that he he tested positive. Um, you really can't have it both ways. You're either going to be like perfect at this or. Or really, really good at this and, and pound your chest about look how responsible we are. Or you're not going to be and you're going to let this guy go out on the field. You know, I, I I don't know whether there was an element of, well, it's all over and there is no game tomorrow and we don't have to be perfect anymore. We have six months until our next game or or I don't know if that was at play there um, or, or whatever it was. But, you know, I don't I don't know that you can be as proud of your testing record as MLB seemed to be. And then let Justin Turner go out on the field.
1: Yeah, there's no literally no excuse for him to be on the field. I understand that it's um, a big moment in his life. I think we've all made big sacrifices this year in moments of our lives and missed things because of the coronavirus. But when I say like I just don't like have the energy to be angry about it, it's just like we've seen idiots for the last I don't know five yeah. months. Like you in everyday life and uh, pop culture uh. and sports <laughs> entertainment, like you've seen people act like morons. About this forever. So it's like not surprising that, you know, Justin Turner went back on the field having coronavirus. Like, I'm just not like, you know, I could, just couldn't believe it today. And like, so, yeah, like, hopefully it doesn't spread to anybody else. But like, you know, to be hand wringing for the, you know, forever, it's like, oh, my God, I, you know, we have an election next week. I think that's where that's where my focus is at. Not not uh, here. here. <laughs> I don't know. here here. Yeah. You know what else we have next week?
0: Free agency. Baseball's calendar does not take any breaks, right? I mean, so 147 players filed for, well, I guess they don't even have to file anymore, automatically became free agents today. Seven of them are Phillies. Two of those are JT Realmuto and DD Gregorius. The Phillies have five days to negotiate exclusively with their players. But I think at this point, uh, we're not going to see any last-minute deals. You know, we're not going to see... Mike Piazza re-signing with the Mets uh, right before he becomes a free agent like he did in, what, that was, 1998. Um, you know, I, I think that these guys are headed for the open market. And amid all of that, the Phillies uh, still have uh, a front office in flux with an interim general manager in Ned Rice. They need a pitching coach. They need a bullpen coach now. Uh, a lot going on uh, for the Phillies, and it really all starts now. So uh, what's the most uh, interesting or, you know, what, what's the thing that you're, I guess, focused on right now in terms of, um, you know, how the Phillies are going to start this offseason and sort of
1: seeing how this process is going is to unfold? I guess the first thing is to see if Didi gets a qualifying offer because we, we can assume that JT will get one. And to see if Didi that's like the immediate thing to see what happens. But then after that is up in five days, I'm curious to see what – like what teams are in on Real Muto besides the Phillies? Like you know, it's easy. We've been talking about the Mets and the Yankees, and but I think to actually see that kind of stuff, and you know, if that, if the, you know, how much buzz there is in that first month. But I'm just curious to see what the market is for him. You know, once he actually is a free agent.
2: Yeah, to me, that to me, DD is a no-brainer. You give him the qualifying offer. Really, I really, I, I think you. I, I just it, it's what do you make fourteen million and the qualifying offer offers eighteen point
1: nine. Yeah, I bet he number? accepts it if he gets it. For, 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 well, I don't that's know.
2: Fu- I don't know either because if if he accepts this year, if you, the next year's shortstop free agent market yeah. is is uh, intense, I extent. mean, there, I mean, there's pros and cons for him that he really really has to measure because you know who knows what the market uh, is going to that that's going to be a tough market for him to go out in next year it's going to be a tough market this year because of the, the the circumstances of the game. Um, so, you know, if, if I was him, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't feel like the worst thing in the world. of taking 18.9 million. You know, it's, it's the, uh, Kirk cousins syndrome. I keep taking these one year contracts, these, uh, and you know, the next thing I know, I, I've made $90 million over three years. Right. Um, so you know, David Cohn used to work that way for years, where he got, you know, fifteen million a year every year, and the next thing you know, you, you you've you've gotten your long long-term deal in single seasons, and it's, it's amounted to quite a bit of money. Um, and you don't, you know, it, really, it's it's a matter of really what you want to do. It's a great position for D to be, in because, you know, he's he's gonna he he's set for life from last year. He's even more set for life if he takes, you know. So it's. It's a matter of what he wants to do in his own mind. Uh, if he knows he can come back here and be the shortstop, maybe that appeals to him. Um, but to me, if the Phillies for four point nine million more—you uh, know—or you know—if or, 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 you, know, you get stuck with that four point nine million, it's not really getting stuck with it. You're getting the player uh, who you, you who you like anyway. <laughs> and this way, if you you lose the player, you at least get draft compensation. And to me, it's just. It's a no-brainer for them.
0: I agree with you, Bob. I think I, think I would offer <laughs> it to him. I think it's an easier decision to make the offer than it is for Didi to accept it. Um, you know, There's no question he, he, he signed a one-year deal last offseason with the intention of betting on himself, having a good year, and then being able to go back into the market this winter and get a multi-year deal. Um, I'm not sure where his head is at. I don't know whether that's still his intention. Or whether, as you said, maybe his priorities have shifted and he's he says, "Okay, um, I'm going to go live on a series of one year deals now. Keep betting on myself. Um, I I tend to think if the offer is there for him, he does not accept it because there is no telling what kind of year he's going to have next year. Maybe he gets hurt again. And this is somebody who a couple of years ago did have Tommy John surgery. He understands what it's like to miss a large chunk of time and not be healthy and what risk is involved in that. Um, And you mentioned the market, uh, the shortstop market a year from now will include, you know, presumably will include Lindor, Correa, Seager. I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but those are the big three, right? Um, He's no better than the fourth best shortstop in that field. This year, he could make a claim to being the best. So if I were him, I think I probably, um, I probably, you know, you either take the risk that you're going to stay healthy uh, and, and bet on yourself again, or you take the risk that you're going to get a good contract in this market. I think I'm, I'm a little bit more confident in getting a a contract in this market. Uh, just because of where he stands relative to other shortstops this year. So that'll be a big, that'll be a big one. I, I mean, I still can't get past the front office, uh, situation because I think, I think we, everyone needs to know who's making these decisions before, including the Phillies before, um, we can sort of really dive into what decisions they're going to make. You know, is this going to be a Ned Rice operation with assistance from Andy McPhail? Is this going to be um, somebody from the outside uh, who, who, uh, who we don't know yet? Um, You know, how is this going to work? And there are so many factors at play there too. Um, The, you know, the market's going to be depressed uh, with teams, not spending as much money as they're used to. And there's a CBA, to be uh, negotiated a year from now and a possible work stoppage stemming from that. Um, do the Phillies just look at this as kind of like a bridge year and say, all right, uh, Ned Rice, you're the man for a year, show us what you can do
1: and we'll deal with the fallout of everything else. When a, it happens, a crazy, so I'm really,
0: really fascinated with how this a works crazy out. thing
1: happened right before we were recording the podcast, the 76ers hired a, a you know, a vice a president of basketball operations which I, I didn't know if you were able to do that during the pandemic <laughs> and over Zooms or without the, you know, fully getting an in-person interview. I wasn't sure if that was possible, but the 76ers could do Ooh, it.
2: The gloves come off and Matt the, Green takes a shot at John Middleton. I was on a shot. I'm just saying
1: it can happen. You can hire somebody if you want. I can see, you know, you say that, but I see the gloves on the ice. And them, you know, true. It. <laughs> the Sixers is. hired Daryl Morey. If the Phillies really want to hire you know a president of baseball operations or a new general manager it can happen we were told you know it's kind of difficult but if you want to do it you can do it if there's other reasons that are you know if it's, you don't want to spend the money because of a down year and in your finances that's fine if you you don't want to do it because you believe in Ned Rice as the interim GM that's fine but to hide behind The pandemic, I think, has been disproven that the Sixers have now hired a head coach during the pandemic and they now have hired a, you know, an overseer of their general manager, a president of basketball operations, I believe is what Daryl Morris title is going to be during the pandemic. So it's possible. I I don't know if it's going to happen if the Phillies are going to do it, but it's proven that it can happen if they want to do it.
2: I mean, John Middleton's answer could be, well, I already have Andy McPhail in that role and he's got a year left on his contract. I'm not saying that's a good answer, and I. But he's just the know, president, and, and he's
1: stressed that he's well. Business, he can, he, you can, not not necessarily he baseball. Has, he,
2: he has in the past. That's well, that's he, his preferred. So somebody in the Phillies needs to clarify what what Scott has brought up here. Who's in charge of what's about of all the decisions that are about to be made? Because otherwise, all you've done in, in uh, reassigning Matt Klentak. And making Ned Ned Rice your intermediary. it's just you've got the same operation. Come on, does anybody you just really, shuffle the
0: chairs? Right?
2: Does anybody really think Ned Rice has a different train of thought uh, that that's so far from Matt Clintax's line of thinking after five years of standing next to him? Uh, no, he he doesn't. Uh, I mean, and it, you know, it, I think it's imperative here as we get into the the actual offseason that somebody from the Phillies uh, uh, with some authority, my preference would be, all right, John, you know, you said what you said, uh, however long, however many weeks ago that was now. Uh, but now it's time to really, you know, let, let the fans of your franchise know who's running this operation and what your v- vision of the future is, especially as you, uh, you know, uh, we haven't even talked about yet, let start letting pro scouts go and make it, it seemed like you're you're going even heavier on the analytical side at a time when your fan base isn't really enamored you you don't have the tampa bay Rays, uh Tampa Bay Rays fan base and you don't have their uh <clears throat> their payroll so let's let's get a little more defined. you know one of the, and unfortunately I wasn't even on that call because I was at a wedding the day that Clintech was reassigned it, it frustrates me that I wasn't because there was so much more to ask and it's like they, they were cutting that call short
0: after a half hour. Like this this could go on for two hours because the amount of questions that John Middleton needs to answer. Yeah, it could have gone on for two hours. And if twenty minutes gave us the skim milk draft of twenty sixteen, we can't hire people in the middle of a pandemic, and what am I missing? I mean, there were so many that you know Andy McPhail's won two world championships, right? Thirty-three and thirty 30- 29 years ago i mean it gave us so many uh kind of uncomfortable moments for john middleton can you imagine if they'd let that thing go even another 20 minutes we might have had real entertainment on our hands but well, this is starting to sound like one of those greatest hits commercials and you know <laughs> and he's not just a potted plant in the corner ladies oh that was a year ago that was a year ago um going back to the 80s <laughs> <laughs> right his greatest hits um i guess we ought to wrap it up with this because uh, jt real muto's the is the is the is sort of the thing that's going to hover over the off season for as long as he is an unsigned free agent, uh, which he is officially as of today, an unsigned free agent. Um, I, I've I've thought about this a bit over the last few weeks. Um, you know whether the Phillies' best move is to is to go all in on JT and sign him for the record contract that he's looking for uh, and be the high bidder in a, in whatever the market looks like and all of that, or whether it's to spread out their money and you know we can do uh, i'm sure we will throughout the course of the offseason we'll talk about the market and how it's shaping up and whether teams are spending you know the phillies laid off seven scouts last week there are going to be more uh layoffs and staff reductions to come i think it's safe to say that their their payroll will not be as high as it was this year in 2021 so how whatever pool of money they have to spend um how do you do it do you sort of throw the majority of it at jt or do you fill your many needs by spreading out the money? And I think I've kind of come to the, I've kind of come around to the point of view that you have so many different needs, be it uh, uh, catcher, shortstop, center field, another starter, and oh by the way, really an entire bullpen that you need to rebuild. I think they'd almost be better off taking that pool of money, spreading it around. Um, the middle class of free agents might suffer more than the upper class anyway. I think that's how most people feel. Maybe there's kind of a market inefficiency now in terms of like signing middle class free agents. You might be able to get some good players for under market value. That's kind of where I'm starting to fall on this. How do you guys feel? What do you do? You move heaven and earth to bring back Real Muto, or do you maybe spread the funds around a little bit?
1: I I agree with you. I I still think it's they at least need to see what the price is on JT, and it's. I think it's he's so important to this team, but if it's a if it's a crazy. You know, uh, ward it to sign them, then and the price is out of your range, and and you're not going to be able to upgrade the starting rotation, and you're not going to be able to address the bullpen because there are so many other holes on this team. Then yeah, you you have to let him go. But I still think I, I'm still in favor of bringing him back. But if if the price gets insane, then then you have to be able to walk away. Remember that we had the walk away point was you know the, the conversation with Manny right. Machado and Bryce Harper. I think you need to have that walk away point with JT as well.
2: Well, I'm, this is going to be a, a nice tease for what I'm planning on writing for Sunday, uh, which is you can, you can win without JT Ramuto. Uh, 16, 16, teams that didn't have JT Ramuto went to the, the playoffs this year. And that's not to say, that you know, is JT Ramuto the best catcher in baseball? If not the best, certainly one of the top three of uh, you know, he wasn't nominated for a Gold Glove for some stupid reason. The new formula they have, but he, yes, he, he's the best catcher. But there's there's a billion different ways to build your baseball team, uh, and you know, the, the most interesting perspective, and we never will never, I don't think we'll ever get a a real answer out of uh, Joe Girardi. I mean, he's a former catcher, and if you go back to Joe Girardi the biggest thing that ever happened in his career was getting traded to the Yankees because Joe Torre wanted a defensive catcher. Uh, can the, the Phillies, if they can get a defensive catcher, and, you know, I, I know people like to pick on Andrew Natt, pretty good defensive catcher. The, the kid that played behind him this year, you know, is in the Phillies' mind and in Girardi's mind, a, a really way above average potential, be a way above average defensive catcher. In, a, in an era where the National League, the, the DH is going to be in the National League to stay, I believe. Uh, and you 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 can make that your defensive position, provided you go, you know, use the money in some way, some way, shape, or form to go get the offensive players you need. The Phillies cannot afford to take it, you know. They were a playoff-caliber team offensively in, in 2020. they got to remain that in 2021. And if they don't sign JT Ramuto, then they, that's fine, but you better go get another piece. A, a George Springer would be the, the prime one to make your offense still be the, the dangerous,
0: uh, the dangerous power that it was in 2020. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I come back a lot to uh, um, maybe the best off season uh, that I ever covered, which was um, the off season between 2012 and 13 where the Red Sox had a lot of needs and they went seven for seven on mid-level free agents, David Ross and Johnny Gomes and Mike Napoli and Shane Victorino and, uh, Ryan Dempster and Koji Uehara, and they won the world series the next year. So if the Phillies have, let's say 45 or $50 million to spend this offseason, I don't know if it's going to be that high, uh, or if it's going to be a little lower, But if they have a pool of money like that and you can spread it around and you can sign, let's say, you know, five or six mid-level free agents, James McCann, Jackie Bradley Jr., um, you know, a couple of relievers, uh, Kevin Gosman, you know, to help your rotation. If you can do that, um, you know, maybe you're better off than taking about half of that pool of money, throwing it at Real Muto and then being only able to fill so many other needs. So I don't know. I'm not i'm not firmly in that camp yet but that's that's kind of how how i'm leaning and it's going to be interesting to see how it takes shape and until we know like i said until we know who's making these decisions and how these calls are being made it's um it's fun to to kind of think about what might happen in the off season but you, you kind of have to know who's shopping for the groceries first right isn't that, i'm kind of paraphrasing yeah. you know, here in a way um you know, you kind of have to know who's going to the supermarket before you know what they're going to get. So, uh, hopefully we'll get some answers to those questions uh, in the next few days and weeks. And, uh, you know, we'll be writing about it in the Philadelphia Inquirer at com and talking about it here on Extra Innings and writing about it in the Extra Innings newsletter. Did I forget anything? There's another That's Bill it. Parcells quote. That's if you it. You got one. No, I'm, I'm tapped out. <laughs> no, I like it. me?
2: Just make sure when you go shopping, when you go shopping – At the grocery store, they wear a mask.
0: Right. (laughs) So uh, for Bob Brookover and Matt Breen, I'm Scott Lauber. Until next time, uh, that's all for us. Thanks a lot.